Good evening, and welcome to another episode of the Living Fiction Podcast, cheeky memoirs of how a DID system became a manipulator's personal puppet show. Motherfucking twice. I am your host, and the host of the Living Fiction System, Xanth Zeitstruck. The trigger warnings for this episode, March Madness, are as follows. Vague notes of incest, suicide, toxic relationships, abusive relationships, fake claiming as far as DID goes, cults, drama, divorce, crises, curses, magic used to manipulate, spiritual incest, brief mention of sexual content, Mostly all the things that you would come to know in my blog. So I got a lot of good feedback last time when I used music to denote whether something is happening in the in-world or the outer world, and it does switch up later in this episode. It's going to be the same dramatic, ethereal piano music. If you hear another bit of music, then it's not going to be an indicator of the in-world. It's just going to set the mood. With that being said, folks, let's get to it. When I had written this original blog, my dear audience, it had actually been a while since I had talked about the vile, volatile March rabbit hole. But it was just in time, in the few weeks prior to my writing this, he had attempted not one, but two idiotic acts of sabotage. The first was attacking my not-so-fictional novel with flammatory false review. Also, he had never read my book. I'm willing to bet that he has no interest in reading anything of mine unless he doesn't have consent to. Many of my friends and readers have retaliated by buying my book, which you can find in the description. Another pathetic attempt at vengeance, or perhaps censorship, of this very blog was made at my job. My actual day job, which is, of course, hardly better than doxing. See, this absolute parasite complained to my hotel, pretending to be a guest to try to get me in trouble. The plan was doomed to fail from the very beginning. First of all, he used my pronouns, which, yes, good and proper of him, but I use they them. Any non-binary fucker in the hospitality and retail industry know that customers tend to pick a binary for you. Also, he used my name. My name is Bloody Xanth, X-A-N-T-H-E. Do you think any guest could guess how to spell my name on a one-off? My name tag has been lost in the lining of my blazer since before the pandemic, unbeknownst to this absolute imbecile. Another damning thing is that nowhere in my profile is it listed where I work. Nowhere. Which is all the GM cared about once this complaint was launched. But the most damning, most easily attributed evidence left behind... He used his actual legal name and entire fucking address to leave the complaint like an utter nonce. And these are just the recent moves, possibly to intimidate me into not speaking out about his earlier misdeeds. And altogether, this backfired because I am only getting louder. Here's the thing. My predecessors to this host position may have been cult bait, but I am cult repellent. I am irreverent, I am mocking, I am a pretentious bastard, and I am the last thing March ever wants to go up against. But hey, I'm enjoying the increase in royalties that his attempts have uh, brought me. But hey, enough about current events. 
Flashback to Ash, weak and feverish, having spent the entirety of the night trying to talk March out of suicide. March didn't seem to offer much in the way of an apology aside to what's addressed to me below, and this is a screenshot from him, word for word. So I'm really not sure what to say here, but I'm sorry for the other night. I'm not sure of what you know exactly has been going down besides the basics, but if there is anything you want to say to me, feel free to say it. I get that I had a meltdown and it was super inconvenient and I apologize. <laughs> super inconvenient. This is what this twat calls him, holding himself hostage for two hours. Arcadia and I were furious at March and eager to talk with Ash about how absolutely abhorrent their new beau had acted. But with Ash sleeping off a high-grade fever, looking dazedly around while being hand-fed by Arcadia, it didn't seem quite the time. It was only another day before Ash was destined to fly home, with Arcadia remaining with me for the week following. You would think that March would be biting at the bit to make sure Ash was home safe, but following is a screenshot. Ash. March, are you mad at me? March. No, there is a difference. I'm upset at the situation. My plans are ruined, but at least you will be home. Then he sends them a painted deer skull with a shroud over it. There's your gift. There is really no hiding it, and you would have seen it anyway. I'm sorry. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going back to sleep as I have taken sleeping pills and it's too late for me to reroute my plans. I'm dot dot dot. Just make yourself at home when you get back. Enjoy your gifts and the clean house. I'm sorry I didn't get to make your birthday special like everyone else did. Ash. I love you. I didn't exactly want things to play out like this. Like I wanted my flight to be on time. I wanted to get home to you sooner. My whole body hurts, and there's pain whenever I move. I just want to get home and lay next to you and curl up and forget that I have a body. Much. It's fine. Like I said, I'm upset at the situation and not at you. I'm allowed to be upset that things never work out for my plans, no matter how hard I work on my plans. Keep in mind, this vacation was set before he and Ash had ever even met. But this somehow ruins his plans. Okay. That's right. March took a sleep aid when he knew he was picking Ash up at the Buffalo airport later on, stranding them two hours away from Rochester. Luckily, Azra, Ash and Arcady's longtime friend, came to the rescue and picked Ash up. That opened up an entire conversation for Azra's first impression of the now infamous March. First of all, I thought he was a fucking catfish, Azra laughed. He got into my car the first time I met him, and I'm like, who the fuck is this? Arcadia and I had been sitting huddled in my flat on the nest of blankets and mattresses I'd assembled into a makeshift double bed. Azra was on speakerphone and we were venting about the slimy scumbag as if expelling a poison we were only vaguely aware was in our system. Does he edit his photos that much? I asked. On Facebook, March was actually quite the looker. In fact, that was how we'd first entered each other's circles. All alternative, queer, internet hobby models seemed to know each other, if they hadn't blocked each other yet. <laughs> I edited my photos whenever facial dysphoria was hitting me extra hard, but I'd always make sure that it still looked like me. Obviously, not everyone followed the same rule of thumb. Oh yeah, I didn't know who the fuck it was. Also, he reeked. I had to roll the windows down. I don't know if he just doesn't believe in deodorant or what, but damn! Uh, Katie corroborated that fact. 
It was petty things we were gleefully giggling at, the type of criticisms you might find in cosplay conventions. The conversation didn't take long to turn more serious. We told Azra about the four-hour-long suicide threat, then Azra exchanged their own tale. So we were all hanging out at my house one time, and Ash and March were play wrestling, and then it turned into them intensely making out. At first, I kind of joked, like, haha, get a room, guys. Like, they were on top of each other. I'm asexual. Sometimes sex repulsed, and I was mad uncomfortable. And March actually had the nerve to look at me and say, we're not being sexual, so this shouldn't bother you. After that, I was like, yeah, no, I'm actually tired. You should all go home. But I was pissed. It was nice that Arcadia and I weren't the only ones who'd had a bad feeling about this abusive relationship. We would at least be a united front for whenever we confronted Ash about it, and I was gathering information. And as Arcadia showed me, Azra's first impressions were never wrong, and Azra liked me on first introduction. It all tracked. March was a danger. See, to further complicate things, and... Any of my audience listening, this is the time to take a smoke break, take a dab, take a drink. <laughs> just just please, you, you want to brace yourself. A large reason as to why I was so attached to this group is because of all of the system counterparts Ash made for me to manipulate me. Ash supposedly channeled a father of my past life, Arnon, Someone who called me his son, someone who took it as his duty to protect me and guide me, who had been strangely silent throughout recent events. They'd also channeled my late girlfriend. Perhaps the most damning, they insisted that they were able to meet longtime dubiously real friends of mine, like Abilene and Sound, using the basis of my Bioshock Infinite-esque theory of alternate universes, they boasted that they were able to go into the other plane and interact with these people. They even dated and slept with Abilene, as in outside my body, they'd said. The stakes could not have been higher. Ash and Arcady were the first ones since April and Kieran to profess that they could have access to and interact with these friends when it was otherwise an isolating endeavor. Ash had also facilitated the marriage between Arcadia and I and Ferry, and also, also, they had given birth recently to my twin sons. Nope, you heard that right. See, Arcadia and Ash had always spoken of Ferry, another interdimensional plane, much like how I thought my inworld was, where they all had several children who had grown into adulthood and fairy time. Arcady even led me to Ferry on my birthday the previous autumn, holding my hand as I closed my eyes and let myself wander to a new part of my inner world that resembled his. Arcady served on the court as the king of Asgard, and Ash as the unseelie fey king. So, as Ash and I were never ones to shy away from being physically intimate with one another, this led to myself and Arcady simultaneously impregnating Ash exclusively in that other realm. <laughs> so I had children with them in Arcady. Twin boys. See, I'd never wanted children in any universal plane, but I quickly stepped up to the plate to be their storyteller and bad influence, when Ash would later tell me that the twins were asking about me, saying, Zan? I honestly about melted. Wow, Xanth. 
every reader on the planet is probably going. It not only looks like you were in another cult, but a really fucking weird one. So after the Sonic the Hedgehog one and the Trinity Blood one, you fell for it a third time? Yep. Those weren't even my only family ties to this group. Arcadia and I had discovered that we'd been lovers, brothers, or twins many times in our past lives. My Silas and his Analis, my Kajman and his Thorn, my Jasper and his Jack, his Visard and Blackthorn, and memories of being an intimate friend of Oscar Wilde. Always loving each other, always protecting each other. And it wasn't only past lives, invented in either my system or Arcades, but there was and is this feeling that I'd known him before. It was as if my very soul recognized Arcady. It's easy to scoff at the twin flame theories until you feel something this bloody certain. It felt as if it were inevitable. Arcady and I finding each other again. And that all of the universe's trials would be worth it if we could only orbit each other as we were meant to. The utter bliss he gave me, I could get drunk off of it. I'd even take it over expensive champagne, and that's saying a lot. I don't think that was manipulation, conscious or otherwise, on our parts. We'd had so many conversations, even of obscure childhood things or old habits with dubious origins, saying same, back and forth excitedly. We could even finish each other's sentences. He could sense when I was on my way for a surprise visit. Both of us would lie there for hours talking about how we always thought that there was a large void in our childhoods where the other one should have been. We were robbed, Arcady would always say, as we would look at how alike we looked as children or how strangers would ask us if we were related. There was such a thrilling relief at finally being understood, even down to the other worlds that we escaped to, especially given that I was a Frankenstein creation of Fisoux's imagination, the thought that my patchwork soul made from broken parts had a companion, Ash had voiced envy at Arcady's and my closeness. I wish I had a twin. And Arcady would always crow back with, You're just mad because that makes you the oldest. And of course, Ash had flirted with me before, seeming to want to complete the triad, but I wasn't romantically interested in them at that time. And gods, they really tried. Not only had they channeled a late partner of mine, but they'd also baited Oscar with information about Isola Wilde, a beloved sister of his, who died at the age of six. And poor Oscar actually believed them. Anytime Arcadia and I discovered a past life together, Ash was, weeks later, chiming in about how they were there also, with more nebulous details and such. Things that didn't seem to ring as true as what Arcadia was saying did. If this was bait on Ash's part, it didn't work. Of course, that's when March came in. Ash believes that they're March's dead twin, Arcady finally confessed to me. I remember pausing for a sharp intake of breath. We'd had altogether a fun day. I had access to the rooftop pool of the DeSoto, swimming back and forth, occasionally meeting in the middle and kissing, holding each other bridal style, aided by the weightlessness of the water. You know, aside from this drama, this was truly one of the happiest weeks of my life. But I suppose this is what Dickens meant in saying both the best of times and the worst of times. We were exchanging stories, 
Arcady was telling me about how shaken and confused he was when he found that he'd apparently yelled at me. I remember that, I recalled airily, as if that hadn't been damn near haunting me for a month and a half. You don't remember any of it? Arcady had shaken his head. No, I don't remember why I said that or anything. Like, March was saying similar things behind the scenes, how you were being selfish for not moving. I honestly don't remember what I was thinking. He seemed startled and remorseful. Even more disturbing, he finally let me know that Ash and March were so often together that Arcady felt as if he'd hardly even seen his own fiance since March had moved in. And when he did, there was just odd, tense fights about whether Arcady handed them a glass of water, or did laundry, or some other such petty thing. He'd even noticed that, though Ash was on the mend, they hardly checked in on him at all throughout the day. I texted them good morning hours ago, and they hadn't bothered responding. I'd bitten my lip. Yeah, that's pretty much all I've gotten from them since March moved in. Out of sight, out of mind. That's when Arcady dropped the bombshell. Ash believes that they're March's dead twin. I'd seen March talk about his twin before. I'd seen posts about his beloved sibling that had died of an overdose at the ripe young age of 15. In some posts, 16. Uh, in one post, 17. There were no photos, no documents, no proof that the story itself had existed prior to 2018. But I didn't know that then. I think I was first confused by the timeline. Ash and March were near the same age, so the idea of Ash having been his twin, while also existing, was a bit complicated. But they were also the unsealy fae king, so how long was I really going to think about this? But Jesus, if Ash had it in their head that they were really this bloke's dearly departed twin that came to save him from his doomed abusive Arizona relationship, how do you even say, well, never mind, actually, to that? This was becoming more worrying by the minute. At one point, I tailed off momentarily to check my phone. After all, Ash's and my post-off beach pic was definitely getting attention. That's when I tapped on the group chat between the three of us, and saw the following. May 21st, 2019 at 11.21am. Arcadia is saying, Good morning, Alif. May 21st, 2019 at 6.47pm. Ash is saying, Hey y'all, I'm getting married tonight. Love you. May 21st, 2019 at 7.55pm. Ash, can I talk to you about that real quick? I knew immediately that Ash didn't mean to do it in this reality. This was to be the way that they had married Arcadia and I together two months before in Ferry. Something spiritual. Eternal. Even when Arcadia and I would be on break two years later, we were still considered married in Ferry. He told me so. My twins, that are now in Trajax, assure me that we still are, unless Ash decided to rewrite marital laws in Ferry specifically to spite me. Which, honestly, they would. <laughs> Hey, um, Arcady? You're going to want to take a look at this. Come out of the pool, just a moment. I remember him asking what was going on, but I'd refused to say it out loud. It was as if I felt he wouldn't believe me if I hadn't shown him the text. His phone was acting up, so I passed him mine. His eyes widened. What? 
He daunted for his own phone, then called Ash. Hey, love, I, I think you and March are taking this too fast. He spoke haltingly, quickly. I could actually feel the ice in his veins as if it were my own. There's a... There's been a lot I've been wanting to talk to you about this relationship, and I think I think you should just take a second. His left arm was crooked, raised above his head as he spoke, as if reaching for something. He finally settled on his wet black hair. Now, Katie had Ash on speakerphone, so I can hear them as well. What? What do you mean? I'll never forget the tone of Ash's voice. It wasn't only puzzled but it was like they were trying to grasp the English language. I just don't think this is a good idea, he exhaled sharply. We'll talk when I get back. I I think maybe you're jealous? There's that tone again, as if Ash was reading from a script in a language they didn't quite understand. Our kitty looked stricken. We'd both cheered on their relationship with March before all of this. I'm not jealous, Ash. I just think, I think that this should wait. We'll talk when I get home, okay? He hung up and looked at me desperately. I looked back at him just as tensely. I'd found heaven on earth, a situation that seemingly catered to my far-off dreams so exactly that I often felt dizzy at considering the odds. And suddenly, it was blooming into an unlikely perfect storm of a nightmare. A nightmare that it seemed I'd lived before. March responded later in that day, being as mature as we'd come to expect in those days. Following is a screenshot. Arcady, I'm not sure what to say to you. What exactly makes you think I'm moving too fast with Ash? When they asked me to marry them yesterday, I was so excited. And now... Arcady responds, saying, I'm gathering my thoughts on the situation as a whole. I remember after, we were too anxious to do much of anything. I was into the wine. I was remembering a lot about my ex. Stuff I felt like I'd forgotten. Did I ever tell you? I asked Arcady in the safety of my flat one night. What exactly happened between myself and my ex? Arcady was hesitant. After all, Abilly had actually told Ash and him the entire story, much of which I still can't remember. In pure alter fashion, Abilly might even be a trauma holder, Abilly had warned Ash and Arcady against telling me more than I knew. What do you remember? I'd spent a while calming Arcady down after Ash's jealous accusation hours before. He was terrified for Ash and himself, despairing that any progress he's made in the past five years has been erased by a comparison that wasn't even quite rational. I been hurt by Asha's lack of communication and the visible favoring of March to Arcady. Sure, they'd moved house recently, and new relationship euphoria is an unfortunate but manageable phenomena within the polyamorous world, but this seemed like something more. The new memory I have didn't have much context. I couldn't place the exact build-up, nor the timing, or why certain things happened the way they had. I still struggled to place it. But in our nest of mattresses and blankets, the telly running softly in the background, Arcady's long arms wrapped around me, his consistent candlewick scent curled against my face, wine blanketing my head like a fresh layer of snow, I felt safe enough to try to explore it. 
It all started at Dominic's house, during a party. It was common enough to see Jack carrying a still-sleeping sound down for breakfast. Jack was one hell of a cook, so I'd made a habit of waiting for his emergence so he would feel obligated to offer to cook me something. Eggs Benedict, Benedict Oscar, egg in a basket. The possibilities were endless and delicious. Sound would usually awaken in the middle of koala in his husband, and we'd happily indulge in the joking and gossip from the night before. April walked down and joined me at the kitchen island. Sound was just waking up and happened to spot April. And he started, as if frightened. Oh, fuck. Sound laughed a little, still groggy from sleep. April's eyes hardened. Oh, well, I can see I'm not welcome here then. I think I see it, Arcady said as he held me. His warmth was ambrosia, for my insides felt so very cold. Like, sound kind of flinched away, but in that instinctive way? He mimicked the motion exactly. Yeah, but April took offense to it. And by extension, Jack did too. Jack looked between sound and I, the distaste plain on his face. Oh, I see. He dropped sound unceremoniously on the counter and began to pointedly walk away, perhaps to comfort April from the horrors of startling someone. Sound's wide-eyed look of dread and bewildered remorse was something that made me want to shrink into my seat until I was no longer visible. Jack? Wait! I was sleepy! I didn't know what was going on! I didn't mean anything by it! It's how things were those days. One misstep and bonds forged over years and lifetimes were at risk. Sound was pleading Jack to just come back so they can go about the beginning of their date as per usual. Jack was coldly telling Sound to apologize for April. Finally, Sound snapped with a mounting desperation. Jack, you're a wonderful husband otherwise, but I can't help but notice that this is something that happens every time April's around. You're not like this with anyone else. What is with you? That apparently was not the right thing to say. I was physically curling from the anxiety. Knox, my friend and once removed niece, came down to see what all the noise was about. April was looking on with a silent fury at sound, for daring to accuse her of anything. Knox had leaned in to try to ask me what was going on. I'd explained, with some frustrated exasperation, that Sound had committed the crime of jumping a bit while waking up. Knox's brow had crinkled in concerned bafflement. It didn't matter how absurd the beginning was, this could still get very bad. I'd stayed at the kitchen bar, and Jack was more towards the dining room behind it, I'd explained, trying to stop shaking. Katie nodded. Yes, I see it, and there's a staircase leading up perpendicular to it. At the time, it made perfect sense for him to also be seeing what I was slashing back to, but I was still thrilled by it. I was of the moon element in Kerak's theory, and they could share dreams, memories, and images with just a touch. It made sense then, at least. It doesn't make much sense now. There's no way he could have known how that room was laid out, but I, I digress. <music> Walk
while I had been preoccupied with explaining the situation to Knox, as she had been a longtime friend of Jack's, something sounds said apparently tipped the scales for Jack. I want a divorce, he spat. All of us froze. Sound and Jack were such a perfect, loving couple. They were the type that how much they cared for each other could be the subject of jokes for how obnoxious it was. Where the fuck was this coming from? Sound looked as though a judge had just sentenced her to death. She honestly probably would have preferred that. What? I want a divorce, Jack repeated coldly. You'll get the divorce papers from me tomorrow. My memory cuts a bit here. I'm not sure if it's due to trauma or if someone simply stole the memory from me. I do remember explaining to Arcady. They were a solid couple. Like, imagine if you did that to me. Another year and he wouldn't have to imagine it, of course. I remember sounds screaming like this agonized, echoing, raw sound. Sobbing and wailing. April had fainted for some reason, and Jack was going to leave Sound there to go help her. Knox and I intervened at that point. Knox took April in her arms, and we ran upstairs in search of a pure blood or water spirit or something. They both had healing abilities. But it was so strange. We were knocking and even tugging on the doors, yelling for help, but like, well, you've said that I perhaps have time powers. Maybe I got so scared and froze time. Sound screams were just echoing through the house, begging Jack to please stop. And Jack's yelling at her at that point. I'm glad Knox was the one carrying April, because I might have wanted to throw her out the window just to run down and tell Jack off. I shook my head. It was haunting. It, it still haunts me. <laughs> and Katie's arms tightened around me. I was once again in awe with how f safe I felt with him even when lost in my memories. No one answered her. Everyone just claimed afterwards not to hear, but how could you not? The next few weeks were basically a probation period for the relationship. I remember once walking in on sound watching a video of her wedding and just silently sobbing. It was heartbreaking. I looked up at him, furrowing my brow. She doesn't remember that anymore. I know it happened because Abilie remembers it, but neither Sound or Jack seem to. It's probably better that they don't, but I still do. Arcady held me through that flashback. We continued to speak to each other about March's influence on Ash, and the parallels of how everyone in the other plane had acted around April. The only new bit of news was that March had declared Ash his special interest, as in, yes, autism, to justify his clinginess. <laughs> when Arcady suggested that they all have a group talk over what had just happened, March's immediate reaction was empty threats to move out. Arcady and I were both triggered and pinging off of each other. Arcady, because this wasn't the first time he's been the not favorite in a polyamorous situation, and myself because this all really seemed like what April had put me through years before. Hell! March had even recently dyed his hair red, like April's. And good lord, how could I not make the comparison? What Abilene and I had called the effect that made people en masse defend abhorrent behavior to the point where they no longer acted like themselves, where they lacked reason, accountability, or even memory, 
to where the strongest bonds were forfeit over perceived slights. Like when Koji had slighted Romeo and paid dearly, or when Sound failed to like Jack's pushy friend, Arcadia and I would settle on calling this effect Gaslamp. Why'd you have to go and give it a name? An ex of mine would say years later, but I doubt that would have changed anything. I told Arcadia about it. I theorized, seeing what March was doing to our friend circle, that such an effect was following me, infiltrating my circles once again. I mean, hell, Arcadia had yelled at me since March had gotten there, and hadn't even remembered it. Ash had accused him of being jealous and couldn't think of a basis for it. Hell, Ash wanted to marry March after four months of knowing him, despite March having held himself hostage and abandoning them at an airport a week before. And the most damning piece of evidence was, sweet little Ash can't possibly allow this to happen, wouldn't allow poor Arcady to suffer so. How else to explain this other than magic? Well, rose-tinted glasses and all that. I'd agonized during the entirety of 2020 at what I could have done differently. As militaristic as I am about reacting well, there was no reacting well when it came to that level of trauma and triggering. What person could go through what I did with March and Ash in 2019 and not act erratically when in a new situation on brand new depression meds in a whole new state? I couldn't just not act like all of this bothered me. It did bother me. Everything else was out of my control. But my biggest mistake? Something I should have avoided? Trusting Ash and expecting them to be better than this. I'd conveniently forgotten how Ash had viciously ordered someone in Arcady's system to hit them across the face to prove that he had alters. Then they let everyone think that Arcady was abusing them afterwards. I'd conveniently forgotten how Ash, while spiraling, had grabbed the steering wheel away from Arcady and tried to drive them both off the road and to their deaths. I'd forgotten that Arcady telling me the chokehold Ash put him in when Arcady had tried to stop them from overdosing. I'd missed how when their old friend group had turned against them, Ash, being their main point of contact of the couple, was convinced that Arcady was abusing them. The old friend group even called the two the tree and the rot. Guess who was designated to be the rot? Probably not the one named after a tree. Of course, I'd also forgotten Ash theorizing that Arcady's aversion to touch was a mere phase picked up from identifying too closely with the Six of Crows character and wishing more frequently that Arcady would go back to his traumatized hypersexual phase. A line of thought that would later be turned around to me when it suited everyone. It was all pointing to a truth that neither of us wanted to see at the time. We were both more than willing to accept that this cult-like effect, this mob mentality multiplied to an absurd scale, that it was a curse. Arcady considered and agreed with the gaslamp theory. He also had his own. We'd both noted that in some of March's and Ash's more explicit videos, that Ash kept chanting brother, brother, over and over again with March. It really came across as a chant. Arcady suggested sex magic, and I felt that seemed reasonable. Ash and March don't even look alike, Arcady said with derision plain in his tone. They're not twins, and Ash knows this. 
This has got to be how March is convincing them that they are. It was also somewhat likely that March was just the run-of-the-mill abuser who used Ash as an escape from his ex, and Ash, suddenly in a polyam triangle wherein they were not the center, had just soaked up all the physical affection and undivided attention they received and were open to March's poorly disguised attempts to shoulder their friends, partner, and family away to have Ash for himself. But Ash was above such things, I'd reasoned. Surely they wouldn't be just a mindless drone to anyone they happened to be dating at the time. That wasn't a theory either of us would be willing to accept back then. Nor was the fact that Ash was actually in charge. Now it all seems laughably obvious. So, curse it was. Arcady had always told me that I was more powerful than I had ever imagined. A glitch in the universe to fondly quote him. I was new to using magic outside of my inworld, but he'd pointed out before that my simply wishing my perpetually suicidal partner Avery would make it through their plight and my general entries had made it come true. I mean, hell. Arcady had also told me about Oscar Wilde being my past life, and suddenly the blighter was speaking through me, so of course I believed him. The following is a screenshot. Arcady. And yet you still protest. Me. I love him. He might have very well have saved my life with writing alone. He might have been inspiration that my depersonalized ass absorbed very keenly. Arcady. It's okay to say you're inspired by yourself. Me. I mean, I read his writing when I was groping for my own identity. I may have very well absorbed it. Arcady. Or, or, or... Behind door number three, me. Hmm? Okay, D. You were wild. Me. Okay, okay, okay. I do admit that sometimes I see him when I look in the mirror. Okay, D. Mm-hmm. That's a start. Next, it was me with a picture of Oscar Wilde on the mirror and me taking a selfie in it, smoking very smugly. Arcady, dot dot dot, dot 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 dot. Ah, me. Victory is mine. Arcady, your smug fucking face. Me. I knew exactly what I was doing. At Arcady's urging, I wrote a post-dated journal entry, willing us to have already found March out by 2021. Arcady also did a counter spell in the other room. I wanted to be done with all of these manipulations so that my bloody life could begin. So that I could be with my loves and my best friend every day so we can build our lives together. There are so many more joys and tense moments of us holding on to one another before Arcady finally had to leave back to Rochester, back to a household that seemed very much against him. Ash was back to answering me every eight hours or so, if I were lucky. My last month in Savannah was fraught with anxiety. One day in particular, Arcady had expressed feeling suicidal, though not directly threatening anything. I texted Ash a little afternoon, tensely pleading with them that they should check up on their partner when he had gotten home from work, and, you know, maybe have the first full conversation with him that they'd had in months. I'd asked Ash for urgent updates, and a habit that was frustratingly common for Ash in those days. They didn't get back to me until hours after our kitty had already been home. 
Oh, sorry, they said in a way that I could only perceive as flippant. I forgot. March and I were fucking for ten hours. Another bizarre thing. Ash and a friend of theirs, Crow, had had a falling out in the last year or so. March had taken it upon himself to quote-unquote get dirt on Crow under the guise of pretending to be making friends with them. He would give us updates as if manipulating someone was a brave undercover mission, and it was just so funny that Crow had fallen for it and Ash was just okay with that. They think I'm actually friends with them. They're so thirsty for me, he would boast, then continue to hang out with Crow as if it were a duty. I suppose it made sense that Ash was a Taurus. They just couldn't stop chasing after those red flags. All of this and I could only bite my tongue until it was moving time. This was absolutely the worst thing that could happen to my new life, but our kitty had promised to keep me safe. Had even promised to crack April's ribs if she ever returned to lay a hand on me. I even had this assurance from Ash. Ash, please let me know and I'll be sure to check in more frequently. Me. Thank you for letting me know. It's just memory stuff. The last year I spent with April, I, I'm i just having trouble focusing, and at night it's like I'm back in it. Ash. Hugs. Soon you'll be in a whole new place with a life she's never going to have a hand in. Me. I hope so. Ash. I know so. Me. I'm just afraid that if it happened once, it could happen again. Ash. Hey, it's going to be okay, little brother. So, even though I would soon be leaving a city I adored, an atmosphere I had used to escape my nightmare acts so long ago, I knew I would be safe. I hope you've enjoyed this episode for yourselves. A few people have actually been checking on me. I tried to make an announcement via Facebook, but sometimes the algorithm fucks me up. I just want to let you know I am having a difficult mental health period. It's no worse than usual. It's just that in this particular time, my subconscious really wants me to isolate. So you're not hearing a lot from me. Uh, What is essentially going on is that I'm delving a bit more into alcohol than usual. I am getting anxious each time I hear a message ding. I am watching some of my favorite shows, playing video games, and listening to a lot of music. I've also been in the in-world quite a bit lately. Um, Shout out to Sparrow for actually helping take care of the household shit. You've actually kept the place really clean, despite drinking all of my whiskey. But yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate how much this is growing. I essentially plan to make this the best thing I've done as a writer because it's actually helping people. It's actually warning people off of the horrors I've already been through, sir. As much of a selfish bastard I am, I actually fell into this odd act of this podcast and blog that's actually very self-referential and a bit egotistical and, uh, well, it it was the best I could do. (laughs) Anyway... I hope you have a good week. I hope Valentine's Day isn't too traumatizing for you. And I'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to the Living Fiction Podcast. This is Anth signing off. Thank <laughs> you.